Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's Wednesday. Dominic, that means this episode is just a bit extra special. Episode 125 of the MMA podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of struggled to carry that one over. But it's all right. Dominic, how you feeling, my friend? Obviously, Kish can't tell. New quarters for this guy right here. <laughs> Who's got two thumbs and moved yesterday? This guy. And now he has two sore thumbs. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Oh, man, I'm doing good. Uh, happy to have you back here on this Wednesday. It's hump day, halfway through the work week, halfway through the week. We've got a great episode in store, as always. The Reddit Roundtables, they always deliver. It's your baby, so I know you're excited as well. Noah, you have to give us a tiny... Just a little scoop of the moving action before we get into the MMA action. Um, I thought it went pretty smoothly once the actual moving took place. Um, Dominic knows what I'm kind of referring to. Behind <laughs> yes. the um, I won't talk about that for later. That shall rename. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just kidding. But uh, in all seriousness, shout out to a couple of my good friends, Tyler and Caleb. They. Uh, came and helped me. I am dealing with a pretty bad back at the moment. So um, in terms of how much I was actually helping, probably not as much as I you would think because I'm the biggest of the three of us. And You were I, directing traffic. I was uh, I was moving a lot of the smaller stuff while they were handling the couch. And, yes. Um, which Dominic has also moved these items because I, not bought, fun. I basically threw a stack of cash at him and said, give me all your furniture. Yes. So that couch was a, was a bitch. Yes, um, it is. They, they will, they, my friends will tell you that, but I thought it went pretty well. I mean, I hate moving. I said this a little bit on Monday, but guys, seriously, I hate moving. I don't. I try not to be a negative Nancy, but I can't help it. There are not many things in this world that I hate. Moving tops that list. It's just yeah. such a drag, and when you're dealing with an injury like I am, it just makes it even worse because you have to use your back so much <laughs> in lifting. Um, but we got pretty much everything unpacked last night. Um, I was a sweaty mess. It was like midnight. Took my first shower in the new house. Then I went straight to bed. Woke up at like seven forty-five this morning for work. Didn't wake up once in the middle of the night. Ooh. That was the first. It was uh, an interesting night. I will say the one downside to this apartment compared to the old stomping grounds me and Dominic shared. Yes, is the lack of air conditioning. Oh, which no. I hope uh, I'll have to find out when I listen back to this episode. I do have a fan going on. Kind of. I'm not picking up nothing. It's a little bit away from my camera at this point because I, you know, I moved over here before we started. Um, so hopefully you guys won't be hearing that too much. But um, yeah, it, it surprisingly wasn't near as warm as I thought it would be. I'll put it that way. Oh, that's good. Now, um, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's enough talk about moving. <laughs> so let's move into oh the topic at hand. Yeah, the topic at hand today is. The MMA Reddit Roundtable. For those of you that don't know, well, now you do. It's <laughs> sorry, Dana, trademark. Yes, know. trademark pending. <laughs> so the Reddit Roundtable is essentially me and Dominic have scoured the internet. We have went through Reddit, hence the name, but also Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, 
Facebook, anywhere that people talk MMA, we are a fly on the wall, eavesdropping to those conversations, looking for what topics are interesting the community the most, what questions are being asked. And then in this format, we put those questions all together in a nice little list, and we go one by one and give our thoughts on them. Yeah. The hope of this, and just to be completely transparent, a lot of people would probably uh, let them know. shield from this fact, but the whole point is for this concept to eventually just turn into our own sort of Q&A segment, maybe yeah. a bi-weekly or uh, once a month Q&A yeah. segment where me and Dominic would answer your fan questions. And we do have one fan question on this episode, so yep. shout out to our good – I was going to say our number one fan, but I feel like that's just like – we we know the guy. So, like, I feel like yeah. that's just, yeah. <laughs> so uh, shout out to Michael for sending a question. Um, we'll be getting to his at the very end. But, um, yeah, I would like to at some point we do all of these just – All 10, 10 12 of them, yeah. Yeah, so let's just get right into it, Dominic. What do you think? Let's do it. Number one. Um, so you'll notice that uh, since we haven't done one of these in, I guess, a little over a month or a month or at this point. Close to a month, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point. Um, some of these will involve, like, the McGregor – Poirier stuff, and you'll notice that. But I mean, it's it, there are more questions at the end that kind of are more up to date, I guess, yeah. with what's going on. So number one involves uh, ten eight rounds. Um, for those of you maybe that don't know, I feel like you probably should. Uh, MMA is scored just like boxing, where it's a ten mount ten point must system. The winner of any given round must be awarded ten points. The loser of that round, according to the judge scoring it, is gives them nine or less. Usually nine, eight has been is supposed to be a bit of an ass whooping. Yeah. Um, this has become this has led to a lot of problems in the scoring of fights. You, you hear a lot of complaints about fights being scored. It's just not a it's not a very intuitive system. Um, you know, the difference between different 10 night rounds is so much of a contrast that um, it just doesn't really take into account everything. But 10 8 rounds are one thing that when MMA was first really developing this system, or I guess taking this system from boxing, 10 8 rounds were very rare, very hard to come by. But they have tweaked the rules around enough to where they have tried to make it more plausible for a 10-8 round to happen, mm -hmm. more realistic. Like, sure, does it still need to be an ass-whooping? Yes, but not necessarily to the extent of nearly the fight being finished or anything like that. It's just more so like you've dominated your opponent yeah. in that round. So the point being that they want to see more variance in the scorecards, which is um, – I think it's I think their heads or hearts in the right place. But um, recently – and then recently in the last few months, we've had a couple examples of 10-8 rounds on judges' scorecards that, while didn't end up really mattering, are worth noting. And that being two big, lightweight made events, UFC 262, where Michael Chandler would lose to Charles Oliveira, you saw what we believed to be a first round that was very back and forth, mm -hmm. a round that Michael Chandler won, and he did definitely put a stamp on the end of that round by nearly finishing Oliveira, but Oliveira had 
taken Chandler down, had even had his back, uh, had his back for a cut, like at least what a minute and a half, two minutes. Yeah, threatened to um, choke. Yeah, I mean it's and yet two of the three judges gave Chandler a 10-8 round. I forgot. Oliveira would obviously end up winning that fight. So it didn't really matter. Yeah. But still worth noting. Then you have the Dustin Poirier Connor McGregor fight. Where despite, you know, we truthfully have um, been a little poo-poo on McGregor on this show, but I think rightfully so. But then in this fight, I, I kind of have to almost come to his defense because you saw a similar scorecards where I believe it was two of the three judges gave Dustin a 10-8 round in that first yeah. round, despite what most would probably evaluate as, yes, a Dustin round, a, one, a round he won but not necessarily completely one-sided, I don't think, either. Right. Um, so I guess the so the question here is, uh, are 10-8 rounds getting out of hand? Do you think that there is – are we turning – are 10-8 rounds and judges scoring turning into a bit of the, the Old West where anything goes, Dominic, and there's no rules? And uh, What are your thoughts on this and maybe the two examples I gave? How did you feel about those? I think it's a topic that's really just riding a thin – fine line right now because I think it's on one hand a good thing that they're becoming more popular and prominent than they once were when because you want to reward these guys when they do go out um, and dominate around dominate their opponent uh, melt the will away from their opponent like Habib has done so on and so forth however we also can't just be thrown around like candy on Halloween either so it really, and that's the thing too, there's always different judges at these fights and the different states and the commissions and the rules. There's not one unified rule set for all 50 states, which makes things more difficult. Um, so out of hand right now, no, just because we're still in that time frame of they're becoming more prominent and popular. However, if it keeps going down this path, because we're seeing them, once or twice per card, it seems like nowadays, or at least around that, hovering around that area. So if it keeps going in this direction, then it could get out of hand. So there's just, like I said at the beginning, a fine line that needs to be followed here. A clear domination, 10-8. If, if you're on the fence and you're a judge and you're like, ooh, was it a 10-8, was it a 10-9? Probably just scored a 10-9, you know what I'm saying? So, And then the two fights that you brought up as examples, I totally had forgotten that. Uh, two judges scored that in Chandler's favor as a 10-8. That, that was crazy to me, being that Oliveira did have his back, threaten a submission for like one and a half, two minutes. Um, and then Chandler obviously nearly finished the fight at the end of the round. The Dustin-Connor one's interesting because Dustin seemingly had a, a round um, close to what Habib did when he fought Connor. However, Connor threatened with the guillotine choke against Dustin. It was in very tight. He landed pretty solid elbows from the bottom. So uh, as big of a fan I am as Dustin, that is closer to a 10-8 in my opinion than Chandler's round. But still, if again, if you're on the fence, you probably go a 10-9 there. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see what you think as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think the wording of this question might be a little extreme because I think it's just – it's kind of common in MMA. It seems that people – the fandom, they get very scared of change. So when you start seeing more of these 10-8 rounds pop up, it just becomes a kind of almost human nature for the fan base to 
be like, oh, no, this is going to get out of hand real quick. And I agree that I think in both of these examples, I wouldn't score them a 10-8. I agree with you. Even though Chandler nearly finished the fight, I would still say that 10-8 was more egregious, I guess, than the 10-8 yeah. of the Poirier-McGregor fight. Um, if I A more recent example, one that just happened, uh, was and this is more on the reverse end where it was a lack of 10-8s, was, in my opinion, the main event of last Saturday's card between Sean Strickland and Uriah Hall. Mm. One judge scored one round a 10-8 for Sean yeah. Strickland. But in my opinion, you could have scored multiple rounds of 10-8 in that mm. fight. Nearly finished Uriah multiple times. Yeah. Nearly just beat him down. Yeah. And to me, there just needs to be, I think, more clarity. Mm-hmm. Because thankfully, these 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 kind of blunders that are popping up aren't really ruining fights right now, not big fights anyways. But it, it has the potential yeah. to become a problem in the future. I like where the trying to implement more 10-8 rounds. Again, I think uh, the people making these decisions, I think their heart's in the right place. I just think there needs to be a more clear description mm-hmm. of what a 10-8 round is because right now I think you got – and this is – it's tough because really you're dealing with judges, humans scoring yeah. these fights, and humans are bound to have their own biases or – opinions on what's more damaging or what's more effective. Right. That's why you see a lot of controversial scoring in MMA because you have a lot of boxing judges, for example, who don't really value uh, groundwork if it's not if there's no ground and pound involved. Um, that happens quite often. So it's a tough, tough to really give like a blueprint as like here's the below average Joe solution to this yeah, problem. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still a problem worth addressing because, again, it's not really a problem right now, but I think – You don't want it to get there. Yeah, you don't want to not talk about it, and then it's too late, and it's already here, and it's a problem. And, and hurting ruined, people's and careers. And the huge fight. You know, yeah. that's, that's a big concern. Yeah. Number two. I think we talked enough about that one, don't you think? I yeah, think was, let's yeah. go on. All right. So number two, this also involves – the Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier fight. I thought this one was really interesting. Could I have maybe taken one of these Conor Dustin implicated questions off? Sure, but I really think they're interesting to talk about. So this one might get a little confusing, but work, you know, walk with me here, Dominic. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, so we saw the way the fight went down. McGregor snaps his leg. Um, we again, we're not really sure kind of why it happened or how it happened. You know whether it was a check leg or he came in with uh, multiple fractures or whatever it was, he snapped his leg, fight over at the end of the first round. And then you saw what happened after the fight. Dustin felt like it was, he said a win is a win. You know, when they were asking him, like, do you feel good about that one? He's like, I mean, you know, I can't help what happens to, my opponent in the octagon that he, his leg couldn't hold up. Like he's like, I can't help that. It's a win is a win. Yeah. And I was winning the round. So I think, you know, kind of what we thought, you know, yeah. he was winning the round, he won the fight, but Connor obviously felt much differently. It was very um, adamant that the rivalry was not over, that there needs to be another fight, that that's not a win, you know, all that. So my question for you is if Connor and Dustin switched places in this fight and, and that's in the outcome, 
fight happens the same way, except Dustin's leg snaps at the very end of the round. And I and I mean the same way, where Dustin is um, – Connor is winning. Let's say, let's say Connor is, you know, winning the round. Dustin okay. snaps his leg. Like, just okay. switch spots completely. Okay. If that happens and Dustin snaps his leg, fight over, Connor McGregor wins – what would Connor's response be to this? What would Dustin's response be? Would the UFC even talk about a fourth fight? No. That's what I want to ask you. Uh, well, Connor's response, I think, would be pretty similar to honestly what Dustin's was, if not a little bit more egregious in terms of um, the way he talks about the injury, maybe poke some fun at Dustin or something. I don't know. We saw how Connor was during that fight week. That's what leads me to believe that. Yeah. Dustin's response, that's interesting because we know how solid of a competitor he is, but also at the end of the day, he just got the biggest paycheck of his career. He's got the family at home, the hot sauce, building the new house. He's got to go get his leg fixed in surgery. I don't know if – I'm sure – the competitive fire and Dustin would say, okay, let's do it again. But I don't know if he would go to the extent that Connor has went to with the pre-fight injury coming in and some of the nasty tweeting and all that crazy stuff. So there would be definitely a difference, but Dustin, I think would probably still want to run it back again. Uh, Would there be talk of a fourth fight from the UFC? No, no chance. Uh, Connor's going straight for the gold belt. And then who knows what they want to do with Connor after that. But yeah, there's absolutely zero, maybe 0.2% chance that the UFC itself, Dana White and the matchmakers talk about a fourth fight. uh, If the roles were reversed here, that I will stand firmly on this Hill. (laughs) I agree with you on that last point. For sure. I for sure think that, um, you know, Connor going straight for the bell. I mean, Dustin, in a, in a sense, Dustin kind of is too. But well, yeah, but I think more so in the sense of like, I don't think Dana in the post fight press conference would necessarily be like, well, I guess you run this fight back once yeah. Dustin gets healthy. Um, and that's not because I'm, and I'm not saying that to like shit on Dana. No, I'm saying that more in the sense that it's, it's just business. Business. Yeah. Like Dustin with the loss there, I mean, now maybe we'll start seeing him pull big numbers on his own, kind of like how Habib, admittedly, Habib did get quite a rub from fighting Conor McGregor with that rivalry. Um, And as bad as that rivalry was, as heated as it was, Dustin and Conor's is very comparable. Yeah. Um, I think, and that's what's so interesting about when you kind of say what would their responses be, because if Conor would have won – Part of me wants to say that he would be much more, um, I guess, respectful. Mm, But I don't know. I don't know because that fight week was so just venomous, if you will. And, like, it's almost like asking if Connor had beat Habib, would he have sat there and shook Habib's hand in the middle of the octagon and, like, embraced him? I don't think he would. No. Nah. And I just don't think he would have. I, I, I wonder, though, if – I don't know if he would necessarily kick Dustin while he's down, uh, but I think his focus would be purely on title fight next. Yeah. I'm coming for you, Oliveira. Yeah. Kind of thing. And basically would not even give Dustin's name the time, the time of, day. of day. Yeah. Um, 
so that in that sense, I think that's where you see a bit of a, a difference in Connor's behavior. But for Dustin, his response would be interesting too. I think it would gut him bad. Yeah. I mean, for it to end that way, I think he would, if asked, because I'm sure he would be if it happened to him, he would say, yes, I would love to do a fourth fight. But I think he would in his head know that that's very slim. Yeah. Maybe say, I'll go earn it. Yeah. Earn another shot at him. But um, overall, you know, he said he loves fighting, but doesn't really love a lot of what goes into fighting anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much it would actually bother him besides the stinging feeling of just losing that that trilogy. But I mean, you got the money, you got the payday, you got the hot sauce going. He's got a good family. Like, I think uh, he would be all right overall. Right. Probably handle it better than Connor did if, if if he was in those shoes. Yeah. Thank goodness that's so far out of a hypothetical there. But it <laughs> is an interesting topic. I'm glad mm-hmm. you found that one. Mm-hmm. Now, this next one is actually a question that I had proposed for us. Um, we had talked about this a little bit a while back, and this is, again, kind of ties in with the Connor Dustin fallout. Um, can you think of an example, Dominic, of a fight that ended in an illegitimate illegitimate win? And this is all opinion-based. So the, the reason why we said this is because, again, a lot of the Connor McGregor fan base kind of were discounting Dustin's win, saying that it didn't count. That because again, Connor ultimately his leg shattered. It wasn't really, as far as we know, it wasn't necessarily anything Dustin did that ended the fight. Yeah. And uh, but our opinion was that D- Dustin won the round. And since Connor couldn't continue, a win is a win in that case. Um, you can't take that away from him. You can be upset about it or disappointed, but I, I think anything beyond that's just kind of having hurt feelings. Right. But is there an example of a fight where you really feel like, I don't think this should count as a win? I might be taking the easy way out here, but it's also just one that's right there, and I'm just reaching out and grabbing it back in. Uh, the Aljamain sterling Peter Jan title fight, you know. And, and don't get me wrong, it was Peter Jan's fault. It was an illegal knee at the end of the day, a very bad one at that. But you just... I, a title fight shouldn't like a title shouldn't change hands that way um, because of an illegal move. And I know yeah. it's such a hard like another fine line, if you will, to cross. But uh, we know Aljamain came out looked solid, but then Peter Jan takes the or really starts to turn the tide of that fight, and it's really going in his favor as we enter that fourth round. And then out of nowhere, Boomy lands this knee, and I don't know like. What do you do to fix it? Um, do you just rule it a no contest, run it immediately back? Like, do you, I don't know, strip Yon and make it an interim belt and have him fight again? Like, I don't know. But it just didn't feel right seeing Aljamain get the belt wrapped around him and his hand raised there. And I'm not trying to take any away from Sterling either. He's an incredible fighter. We know he earned his way to that title shot. It just, it's one of those that felt so obvious. And I'm obviously going to go with the one. That's right there in my head. So let me offer, I guess, some some more clarity to the question. I'm not necessarily asking if, like, of an example of a fight where the win should be taken away, like under our current structure. I just mean, like, in your head, you go, "That's an illegitimate win," and I mean that is a good example still. Yeah, but not necessarily. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily to the point where we're like 
you know, saying, well, this is what I think should have been done. Like the win get taken away, like legitimately, because that's just not really, you know, that's that's not very realistic in my opinion. Right. I mean, but I agree with you completely. That's a great example, especially. I mean, one so recent. Yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, it's hard because Peter Jan is the the call at fault. Yeah. And. I think out of a lot of the people that in our shoes, we tend we're more in the on the like I ain't gonna touch that in terms of do we think Aljo was faking or not faking? No. We're like, look, I ain't going near that talk because I think I don't feel like I'm in any place and you no. feel the same way to yeah. determine a a guy that tough in his position if he's faking or not. But surprisingly. A lot of people have people that are typically very, you know, pro the fighters, pro mm -hmm. uh, whatever their feelings are about things, or just kind of like this seems fake, yeah. which was very shocking because that's a big allegation to throw at someone in his position. Mm -hmm. So I think that even adds a little more to the illegitimacy is when you have people that we consider very credible, right, and weighing in and saying. No, that's that's pretty fake to me. That's ah, man, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, my example is going to be another one from this year, and this is another obvious one: uh, Uriah Hall's victory over Chris mm -hmm. Weidman. Um, again, it was an 18-second fight. Weidman threw what before the first strike thrown in the fight was a hard yeah. leg kick from Weidman. Uriah checked it, leg snaps in half. Again, I mean, Uriah checked the kick. So, I mean, in that sense, I guess. Right. <laughs> but when you compare this one to your how you explain the Dustin Connor one, maybe go into that and explain why you feel this way more so than the, the latter. Good call. Good call. So, um, yeah, the reason why I feel like this is much more illegitimate than and why I wouldn't consider a Connor Dustin one illegitimate is because um, in that Uriah Hall. Chris Weidman fight. It was 18 seconds. One strike was thrown. It was by Weidman. Yeah. His leg snaps. That there's nothing to go off of in that fight to determine a winner. Right. If you had to judge that round, you would just be like, I guess Uriah. <laughs> right. Because he checked the kick. But I mean, seriously, if if you let's say his leg didn't shatter, they they just for some reason stopped right there. How would you score that fight? You would not. There's no winner of that round, in my opinion. But for Connor Dustin, mm -hmm. Dustin had clearly won round one. You got to see a full five minutes. You saw a full five minutes. And I don't know what kind of timing would be enough for me to be like, okay, that's legitimate at this point. I'm not, I'm not really policing that. Right. I'm just saying that I saw enough in that fight to where, unfortunately, Connor's leg snaps. That's an unfortunate circumstance. Not something I would wish on Connor. Of course. And and again, I I would admit, sit here and admit that I would probably assume that it didn't really have anything to do with what Dustin did in the octagon that caused that leg to shatter. But it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, these things happen. It's the fight game. Um, you hear that a lot, but it's true. It's uh, this is human humans we're dealing with, and you are fighting in a cage that literally to beat the shit out of each other. Injuries are bound to happen. 
Right. Um, you don't like him to happen in the way that that did, but it did. So ultimately you go off of the five minutes you saw. If Connor had been winning that round, the way, like, again, if you reversed their at least action in that first round and then Connor's leg snaps, I would say that that's a, I would, then I would be like, run that back. Yeah. I would be on team Connor in that, in that way. Right. But, um, as it stands, I don't think you can call it an illegitimate win. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Question number four. This involves another lightweight. We're finally kind of moving on. <laughs> um, this one's about number three ranked, Benil Dariush. Mm-hmm. Quietly there in the top five. The question, Dominic, involves that. Is Benil Dariush being overlooked in terms of potential title challengers or – is his ranking at this point higher than his ceiling? <sighs> okay. And we're big Benil fans, so this is a hard one. Is he being overlooked in terms of a, being a title challenger by the overall MMA community, population, what it, what it may have you? Yes. Um, just because he simply earned his way there, a seven-fight win streak at the end of the day. That's hard to do, especially in this weight class. So in that talk, yes, I think he is being overlooked as a title challenger, being that he earned his way through the toughest division in the sport. However, being ranked third, after he beat Tony, I was shocked that he bumped so incredibly high into that top three. Um, Is his ranking higher than his ceiling? That's the weird thing. As much as I love Benil, it's his fight style, right? And when I I look at guys sometimes, for example, Cyril Gaon is fighting this weekend, and I we've seen him his whole career in the UFC thus far because it's only been a couple of years. And you look at that guy, and that's a guy I look at, and I think No even agrees with me. I look at Cyril Gaon fight, and I say that's a future champion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now again, we're Daryush fans, but when I see Benil fight, I don't have that same thought in my head. Now. Could he? Yes. Anybody can become a champion. He's all right in the hot streak, seven fight win streak, tough as nails, but he takes punishment. He takes a beating. He's willing to eat those shots to press forward. And when there's guys that dangerous in this division, guys that hit hard, like Gaethje, like Poirier, even Oliveira is incredible on the feet now too. This division's just so good that that's not a style you want to come in with. Now, he did have a good game plan against Tony because I thought those two were just going to be in an absolute dogfight. So if you were to come in game plan for these guys and do that style of approach, then it's a different story. But the overall history of Benil's career, if you disregard that Tony fight, is he's going to come in, he's going to be in a dogfight, get in your face, may the best man win. So uh, hopefully that wasn't too confusing. I tried to kind of separate both spectrums there, but uh, this one – I would really want to hear what you got to say. No, I think your thoughts were very clear there. Um, I think it's hard to say no that he's being overlooked or not being overlooked. Like he, he's definitely being overlooked. Yeah, yeah. If you go off of his ranking, he's ranked third. Anybody else in any other division that's ranked yeah. third, they're in talks for a title fight. While right now we're seeing a lot of guys getting matched up, Gaethje and Chandler. There's yeah. Oliveira, Dustin. 
And Benil's the Islam, last man out. Islam's fighting RDA. Yeah. Benil's just kind of there. And now yeah. some of that might be because, sure, he said he wanted to wait till the beginning of next year to fight. But I think it's more because I think the UFC doesn't really know what to do. Because I'll admit it, I love Benil Dariush. Do I think he's the, I guess, fourth best lightweight in the world? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I think you're right. His fight style, the thing that kind of made us really like him, mm-hmm. definitely is not the fourth best lightweight in the world. Right. But his approach against Tony Ferguson, less fan exactly. friendly for sure, but could potentially carry him higher. And right. I think that is going to be a similar style you're going to see as long as he's in title contention. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a smart way to go if you're Benil. Yeah. Now, is his ranking higher than his ceiling? My opinion, probably yes. I really think he's as good now as he's going to get, mm-hmm. which is really good. I mean, I think he's a top 10 lightweight for sure. Yeah. But again, he beat Tony Ferguson, which again surprises me that that was Tony's third straight loss. I mean, he had not won a round in how many years? I mean, a couple a years. Sinclair, yeah. Maybe he won one round against Gaethje. I don't remember. He'd lost a lot of rounds in a row, taken a lot of damage, you know, been dominated. Almost like a Tyron Woodley effect, you know, at this point. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, imagine Colby Covington being ranked like seventh or eighth. And then when he got matched up against Tyron Woodley and did what he did, getting placed all the way up to third or second. It's like, Right. Okay. I mean, sure, I guess, but Gilbert and Kamaru have already proved that, like, that the the game play, like, mm-hmm. to me, like, it t- Tony wasn't the third best lightweight when Benil beat him. So it's kind of weird right. that Benil took that spot. So because of that, I think it's ranking is higher than a ceiling, in my opinion. I kind of yeah. hope not. I kind of, I want to see him, you know, s- persevere and, keep going because I mean for all we know this guy's gonna be that Jan Blahovich that Charles right. Oliveira that really comes out of nowhere and shocks us all. Yeah. I as based on the fights I've seen of his even in the last year, while very exciting to most of them, I wouldn't put him in my top five probably. So I, I really wonder I guess what the UFC really plans for him. Is he is he's holding that number three spot, which they gave him for a reason. I mean, yeah, because Tony wasn't number three when he beat him. I don't. He was think. five or six. Yeah. So that's why it's even more surprising that he, I mean he jumped Connor. Mm-hmm. You know, just very surprising. So I almost wonder if he's there to almost give more credibility, perhaps against a future opponent like Islam Makachev or something, right. yeah. or Dos Anjos or whoever. Like I'm just, and I hate to talk that way, but like I don't think that it just seems there's a lot of factors that are a little odd in this one so um love benil hope he proves me wrong because we were big supporters of his since we started this podcast and even before that yeah and um i kind of hate to root for a guy for so long to then just turn around and be like all right pal you're out you're out doing you what your expert you've passed your expectations time to take it back now i just i don't know i'm still gonna root for the guy just uh gonna be in the back of my mind probably thinking uh don't think it's gonna go well right right. we'll see um next one this is another one that we've kind of touched on in our last this or that which you can go check out 
Um, got a lovely little thumbnail with a picture of Space Jam. <laughs> yeah. With some Tai Tui Vasa. That but, episode was all over the place. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, guys. I don't know if any of you have ever dropped acid, but at episode 120 of the Below Average Joe's <laughs> MMA podcast, sure felt like it. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, this question, I, I liked it so much because it was going around Twitter, circling around. Uh, the question being, what is your thrill and agony at this point in 2021? Thrill and agony is a, a lovely concept that the UFC has started implementing to really humanize their fighters where it takes you behind the scenes and it shows you kind of the obviously the lead up. You know, you see the backstage, them preparing. But then after the fight, you see the winner celebrating, like per, in, up close and personal. You see the loser crying in the back, just so distraught. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's you hate to see it at, at the same time, but I think it's just a really good way to humanize your fighters. Mm-hmm. So what was circling around Twitter was for people to say, what was their thrill and agony at this point in 2021 with like pictures? So like I used in that video, uh, the, the thrill might be Francis Ngannou winning the title. It was a picture of Ngannou, and then the agony was like Tony Ferguson, a picture of him basically saying his descent into being kind of just – another guy right so dominic what is your thrill and agony at this point in 2021 well the agony's easy um, yeah yep. that's seeing steve hey our our guy here i go again gotta <laughs> i keep turning the wrong way i still don't know how to work this whole thing he's up look at that there's over him i just picked my nose right there <laughs> you, always, you always point at over him i'll figure it out one day um seeing steve hey lose to Ngannou. of course we love francis Ngannou here uh I'm going to be talking about him a little later in this episode, but I'll wait to uh, hint what that's going to come by. But, you know, seeing Stipe lose, man, especially the way he did, the brutal knockout, losing the belt, it was awful. Um, But at the end of the day, it's got to happen at some point, right? He's on his way out. That's clear. He's uh, 38 years old or 37. But the greatest heavyweight of all time can't can't take that away from him. But he's our Ohio boy. So that's definitely the agony so far. Hopefully nothing's worse than that in 2021. The thrill. I'm going back and forth here in my head between two options. Charles Oliveira winning the lightweight strap, scratching, clawing his way from the deepest depths of this division and the missed weight cuts, the back and forth losses, to then out of nowhere string a nine-fight win streak uh, and then knock out Michael Chandler to become the undisputed champion, uh, take the reins from Habib as he rides off into retirement, the newly found, newly crowned champion, Charles Oliveira. Um, can I just give my honorable mention, just, just so yeah. they know what I was bouncing back and forth? It was that or Brandon Moreno winning the flyweight strap, that one. Felt special, man. Definitely the two most emotional title wins of the year so far, I got to say. But uh, Charles made me tear up. Oh, yeah. Um, And just barely did Oliveira uh, inch away and take the the thrill so far for the year. Um, And it's more so just because we've literally seen the man grow up in front of our eyes in the UFC, a guy that people counted out time and time again, wins the belt. So uh, Charles Oliveira winning the belt for my thrill. Steve Miocic losing the belt as my agony. So those are mine. <laughs> so because of that, I'm going to give two others. Okay. Uh, but those are my. I mean, you you know that. Like you know yeah. that Stipe losing his belt and Charles winning was – I didn't think going in 
if Charles won, like if you told me that this year that that would be the case, I wouldn't have thought so, even though I'm a fan of his. But you saw my reaction when he won. Yeah, right? man. Yeah. But Moreno is definitely a close second as well. But again, you took it. So, I mean, even though it was an honorable <laughs> mention. You know, so, so I'm going to – I do have some more though. So I didn't really think about this question too much. So I, I might be missing some here. But for a thrill, an interesting one. Uh, Max Holloway's performance against oh. Calvin Cater, because you, if you remember, Dominic, I predicted Calvin Cater to win that fight. Yeah, back when we were still making predictions, and now you right. can see why we don't make them anymore <laughs> because I make calls like that. Um, I was just nervous. Max has just accumulated so many significant shots in his career mm-hmm. um, due to his fighting style. That's very exciting, but because of that, even though he's still young and but you look at all the stats, you see him all the time where it's like he's got over double the accumulated uh, significant shots that John Jones has and stuff like that. It's just like, man. And How long you, can you it keep last? Wait, you keep waiting for the day where it all comes tumbling down. The guy's right. never been dropped, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. And, you know, you know that that's not going to last forever. At least you would assume not. Right. <laughs> so I'm not saying that that was the fight that I thought was going to happen. I just thought there might be a chance – that we would see Max go on a bit of a slide and then move to lightweight and then maybe not really ever be a champion again, but still be competitive and have some mm-hmm. good fights. But, oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> it's he, one of the best performances in UFC history. He, you know, if you ever watched Dragon Ball Z, that man went to his next form. That man went Super <laughs> Saiyan. Yeah. Um, it was an awesome performance. It was an amazing fight, even though one-way traffic, <laughs> that's yeah. that. But – um. It was an awesome fight to watch. Cater just had the heart of a lion and kept coming. But Max, I mean, some of the moments in that fight, like you guys all know the moments I'm talking about, when he's looking at the commentators going, I'm the best boxer in the UFC, and he's dodging and weaving punches. He's not even looking, man. Like, come on. Yeah. To me, it's like he's lost twice to Volkanovski. And all the respect in the world to Volkanovski, and even though that second fight – yeah, yeah, asterisks, whatever. Still, he a win is a win. We've, yeah. we've, we've established that in this episode. <laughs> He's lost twice to the champion, and after that fight, I'm still not convinced he isn't the best featherweight in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's no disrespect to Volkanovski. It's just how can you look at that performance and not think that Max Holloway is the best fighter in the world? And he's I mean, not guess. even 30 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a thrill for me if I had to choose one that wasn't Charles or – Maybe Moreno. I think yeah. it's very close to Moreno, but Moreno has that emotional pull. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I watched it by myself and started crying. That's how you were in the feels. Even though I love Davison, like that's yeah. just crazy. For agony, it is Stepe. But man, what's a? I think an interesting one would be that um, for Cody Garbrandt. Mm-hmm. That's what I figured. For um, and you know maybe that's obvious because for us Ohio guys, but I think it's more. Not so that he lost, but what the loss implicated. Because he had such a big bounce back with the Sun Sal. Yeah. It was a highlight real knockout in talks of like knockout of the year. And we're like, okay, he's back on track after that three-fight losing streak. But that loss to Rob Fai after his bout with COVID and all this, yeah, it just uh, kind of meant, well, no, maybe he's still just not the guy that he was when he beat Cruz. So – to me, it was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. To accept that, like, at least for now, Cody's just 
he's not the 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 division sort of passed him by at this point, mm-hmm. as apparent by the fact that he's moving down the flyway yeah. even at this. So that would probably be my thrill and agony if I had to pick a couple others. I'm trying to think of uh, if there's any more. Alistair Overeem, uh, funny enough that you pointed well, at him when you were talking about Stipe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was really liking his one last ride kind of thing where it's like, I'm going to get to that title shot. And then he got beat up by Volkov. And then released. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. released. That was, that was, that was tough because I wanted, I actually almost was rooting for him to get another title shot. Thankfully, once it got him won the belt, that will never happen again. Yeah. Um, but still, he kind of made me believe a little bit. So, Maybe that's one. Another thrill, I think, is surreal gone. Uh, his rise for me, because yeah. I've just I've thought this guy could be a champion from literally the first time I watched him, which was it's probably, so fast. probably his second bout in the UFC was like the first time I watched him, and I was like, and I saw, I think he pulled off a submission or something, mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, this yeah. guy's got the skills everywhere. <laughs> Yes. And it's just nice to see it. And now he's about to fight for an interim title this weekend. So he's at least uh, proven us right in some ways there. Right. Next question. This one involves another prospect that we're going to be seeing hopefully is- here in the new, near future. Hamzat Chemaev. That's a name we ain't talked about in a long time, is it? Sure. I believe he is fighting in October against Li Jingliang. Knock yeah. on wood. Hopefully yeah. that all happens. But we know the kind of impact he made on the end of 2020. Mm. Fought three mm. times in about a month and a half. Yeah. Um, looked dominant against iffy competition. I personally think his second opponent, and I forget his name, English fella. Reese McKee. Reese McKee, I believe. We both thought that kid actually had some potential. Unfortunately, yeah. he's not in the UFC anymore, I don't think. But uh, his bout after that against uh, Gerald Mearchart. Mearchart, while being a bit of a journeyman is still, I think, a good step up for Hamzat at that point. However, with that win, the floodgates were open and Hamzat was scheduled with Leon Edwards. And so obviously the potential for this guy, the ceiling, if I I will uh, go that far, is through the roof for this guy. And the company believes in him. The fans believe in him. They think this guy could be a problem in two different divisions, that being welterweight and middleweight. However, Dominic, we have two long-reigning dominant champions in those divisions. Mr. Kamaru Usman at welterweight and Israel Adesanya at middleweight. So my question is, if right now, sitting right here, what you know about Hamza Chimaev and based on what you, I guess, feel about his potential, who does he have a better chance to dethrone if, it, if he got there? Israel Adesanya at middleweight or... Kamaru Usman at welterweight. So, got to go with the gut, right? Instant reaction. I say Israel Adesanya simply because of the stylistic clash. We've seen Israel struggle with the grapplers, although he did fantastic against Marvin Vittori, showed the growth in his game in a very short amount of time from when he lost to Blahovich when he tried to um, take the light heavyweight belt. However, there's a problem with me saying that because – I feel that Hamzat's natural weight class is at 170, and I don't think he necessarily belongs at 185 because Israel Adesanya, you may take a look at a guy and say he's skinny. That's a thick boy. He's got some big legs. He's very long and rangy. He's very strong, and I think it flies under the radar. Um, 
But then it's like, okay, well, if I'm saying this, then it's Hamzat versus Usman. I just don't see a damn person at 170 pounds eating, beating Usman because this man has improved every single bout in every single aspect of his game. So again, if I just if I have to answer gut reaction just simply because of the styles, Hamzat and Izzy at 185, I think he could cause Izzy more problems than what he could Usman because I just feel like all of Hamzat's strengths Usman can match, and then some. So. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I actually think I might go the other way, um, truthfully. And I think a lot of that is going to come down to I have yet to see, while we know that the Blahovich effect was real in that uh, Adesanya fight where his size was just too much. It, you know, he was – and I don't want to take – I mean, I thought Blahovich did his did his thing on the feet as well, but um, when it came to the grappling, Adesanya could not get out of the – from being on the bottom of a guy as big as Blahovich. But at middleweight, I've yet to see a guy who can even really hold Adesanya down. Marvin Vittori is – him and Costa are the two biggest guys in this division in terms of their walking into the octagon weight. And Vittori took him down but could not hold him down at all, um, even mm-hmm. got powered out of from the bottom. So – because of that, I don't think Hamzat – I don't know if he'd be able to – I don't know if he's quite big enough to hold down someone like Adesanya and really be able to do much damage on the ground. So then that fight turns into a battle on the feet, which Hamzat, by the point he'd be fighting these two, hopefully he would have either one been brought along right. to where he can get better and develop, or two, he's just going to show he's even better than we thought he is right now. Um but in terms of his ability on the feet, we know he's got the power, the one punch power. He proved that. But I, I would, and I, and I think his technical precision is much better than maybe people think. Yeah. His, maybe it's because of his heritage. Like people just assume he's just all grappling or whatnot. Um, but because of that, I think I'm going to go with Usman because I think both of their their skills very much kind of mirror one another. Right. But there's a chance that Hamza might be better than Usman on sure. one of those. And that's a big statement to say that because yeah, yeah. of how good Usman's looked. And Usman is, in my opinion, probably the number one pound-for-pound fighter right now. So this is all based on matchup, not that I think Usman is worse than Adesanya or anything like that. I just think that um, Hamza could hurt Usman on the feet, but Usman could obviously do the same to him. And then based on their grappling, I mean, who's who's to say Hamzat's not a better grappler? It's true. Would I would I predict it? No. But it is if he let's say he goes in and starches Jing Liang, and then he gets matched up with a guy like Leon Edwards, and he does the same thing. By that point, you're definitely going to be thinking this guy's for real. Yeah. Whether you think he's good enough to beat Usman or not is another story. But people might now be like, why are they even? considering this you guys just have forgotten about the end of 2020 what this guy was about ready to potentially do it was Conor mcgregor level man well there's no telling where this guy could be right now if it weren't for him getting contracting covid shame you know we can only hope right that these lasting effects he's had are to the wayside now and that we see him come out against Li Jing ling and 
have a great performance because that's no easy fight, by the way. Li Jingliang is a dog. That's one of your the boys. Leech. The leech, yes. baby. So that's no easy welcome back fight, but it is perfect for him. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Next one here. We're going to be going through some potential champ champ fights through history, through the history of the UFC that never came to be. And then you're, we're going to each give our predictions for them. We got three of them here. <laughs> Dominic, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on these three. I think you saw the one that <laughs> I think yeah. your eyes, you made eye contact with the one. <laughs> so let's, let's go one by one. All right. So we'll start with a bout at featherweight, a prime Jose Aldo versus a prime Dominic Cruz. Or do you think that fight should be at Bantamweight considering Aldo ended up making the move? But I feel like people at the time would have assumed Cruz would fare better at featherweight than Aldo at Bantamweight. That's probably true. So let's yeah. say let's say featherweight, and um, what are who who would you predict to win that fight? Oh boy, Jose Aldo was something, man. But so was Cruz. But Cruz is going up to featherweight. But now yeah. Jose Aldo fights at bantamweight. Do you feel like Cruz's speed might be a little a little slower? Maybe the footwork's not as good, and Aldo's got some, especially back then. His leg kicks were to die for yeah. or to die under, if you will. Yeah. Mate, you know what? Honestly, that would have probably played kind of the biggest factor in that potential super fight because if you can neutralize Cruz's movement, which really hardly anyone has ever done, but Aldo, especially prime time Aldo right here, if he would have been able to land those leg kicks, that would have been a huge X factor in that one. Yeah, I think, dude, I just think at this time when they both were champ, Jose Aldo was on top of the world. And, I mean, it literally took a one-punch, 13-second KO to put it all down. Wasn't and, that a decade he held the title? Yeah, he was undefeated for 10 years through, obviously, the multiple oh. organizations through the UFC. Um, yeah, I go Jose Aldo in that one. I think the power being that it would have been in his weight class, again, this is all hypothetical, we're assuming Cruz would have gone up. Um, I think his power, his speed, even his precision back then, the leg kicks, I think it would have been able to get the best of Cruz. Uh, I would imagine it being a very close fight, honestly, probably a five round war where Aldo kind of gets the best in a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are I, hard. <laughs> I might agree when I, when originally I was going to go with Cruz when I was writing this, but then. You brought up the leg um, kicks, man. But then when I brought up the leg kicks to you, I'm like, yeah, that is kind of a good. <laughs> um, it would be interesting to see how Aldo would fare in terms of trying to catch Cruz. Could Cruz just basically run circles around yeah. Aldo to the point where even when Aldo tries to throw leg kicks, like Cruz is busting him up with the jab or something, yeah. I, that would be interesting. He's almost like in that potential matchup, he's almost too – um, unorthodox for his own good because mm-hmm. to counter that to counter those heavy leg kicks you would want to have a really good jab or um, a good counter right or counter left to follow up um, and keep him at bay but Cruz is so unorthodox and he'll keep his hands low or high right. or doesn't really have a pure boxing stance or anything that I don't know if he would be able to do that as effective as some other guys would um, so he would almost have to depend purely on his movement which because of that, I don't know how much damage he would really be putting on Aldo. 
And uh, b- based on that, maybe you get a boring fight, actually, in my opinion, where Aldo wins based on really just uh, control really, mm-hmm. for the majority of it, Octagon's control. Um, also, uh, Aldo does have some very underrated jiu-jitsu, hasn't shown it that much in his career, but when he has, it's been very effective. Cruz, I would not call necessarily a uh, – a, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner – we still um, see him get tested. Yeah, exactly, because it's hard to get him there. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a reality. But being at featherweight, maybe it slows him down just enough, and that was Aldo's fucking jungle, man. <laughs> yeah, man, was, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'll go Aldo. Um, made me, I made myself switch my own answer. I can't believe it. Next one here, this was one that was scheduled at one point in time at UFC 196, potentially – might still get it at some days. So uh, looking more and more realistic every day that it could happen. Uh, Rafael DeSanjos being the, at the time, lightweight champion, had beaten Anthony Pettis, who so many people thought would be a long-reigning champion. And then he was going up against Conor McGregor, who, as you just mentioned, had just came off of the one-punch 13-second knockout of Jose Aldo, the king of Rio himself. And McGregor was looking to go up and win his second belt. We know he would eventually do that successfully, yeah. but it was against Eddie Alvarez after he had a couple DS fights. And obviously Eddie took the belt from Dosanjos. But um yeah, so what 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 do you think here? Because when I think of this fight at that time, it is so hard for me to imagine anybody beating Conor McGregor. Yep. Which is really a testament to how <laughs> good him and the UFC was that really promoting him and and obviously how good Connor looked at the time. I mean, I really just when going into UFC 205, Eddie Alvarez is an amazing fighter. I went in knowing Connor McGregor was going to win. Yeah. I had and no, then the performance he had was no doubt in my mind. I was like Connor McGregor's winning this fight. Not just yeah. because at the time I was still new to it. I just literally was like there's no chance that Eddie Alvarez wins this fight. Yeah. So, I, and you saw in the lead up, because there was some press conferences on the road to UFC 196 when it was Dos Anjos and McGregor. McGregor was definitely, um, I don't know if I would say he was in Dos Anjos' head, but he was definitely getting the better of the verbal sparring, which yeah. is a lot to do with Connor just being a stronger um, English speaker, I guess. So, what do you think in terms of when this fight got into the cage? What, what, what would we see? You know, you look at the way RDA does kind of grind out his opponents and you think it's a great stylistic matchup for RDA against a guy like Connor. But like you said, man, during this time, this version of Connor McGregor was special. And obviously, yeah, we know he lost the fight to Nate Diaz, but that was the short notice deal and all that hoopla. Then they ran it back. He won. Then he puts on one of the greatest performances ever against Eddie Alvarez to win the belt. I, I got a side with Connor here, man. I mean, this was a guy that was just starching everyone in his path. And even when he would face resistance, Chad Mendez, for example, he was able to withstand that and then still finish Chad Mendez, who is a horrible stylistic matchup for Connor. So uh, I, I go Connor McGregor here, uh, and I go Connor McGregor my finish because you got to think, you know, Eddie Alvarez finished RDA up against the fence with, fence with a barrage of strikes, and he was able to kind of break his will. And I just think Connor's obviously the better uh, precise striker. We saw that when they fought each other. Uh, so I would go Connor McGregor here, honestly, via like a KO, TKO, first or second round. 
Yeah, that that was going to be kind of my point for RDA was that the guy's never been dropped in his UFC career. Um, but you did see in an Eddie Alvarez fight that he was out on his feet, essentially. Yeah. Um, so McGregor could replicate that in some way. And you're right. Not only is he a more technical striker, I would say, than Eddie Alvarez, he's a more powerful striker. Yeah. Um, man, it's, it's tough because, again, so much – there's a few things that really want me to believe RDA could have really – done something there but the, really it's the x factor that and i hate to use it because we're in our positions we're we're supposed to be a little more analytical a little more realistic based on skill sets and what you we've actually seen out of these guys in the octagon but conor mcgregor was just he was larger than life at the time and somehow that almost is like a, a skill in itself yeah yeah. You know, I don't know if Dos Anjos would be ready for that. Eddie Alvarez wasn't. That guy had fought everywhere, small, big arenas everywhere. Would Dos Anjos be ready for that fight? He didn't look too bad in the press conferences. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was, you know, red panty night and all that. Yeah. It, was, it was getting ugly. <laughs> but a lot of that was more just because he's not the best English speaker. Yeah. Um. I don't think he was necessarily phased by the trash talk. So overall, I'm going to go Connor in a similar fashion to what you said. I don't. I, I'd be. I would be most curious to see if he would drop. Uh, yeah. At that time, my gut tells me yes because it seemed like he did everything you thought he could. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Last one here, and you this bastard. One, this one's all dumb. You sicko. So this fight would be at middleweight. Yeah, and it would see two of the best fighters of all time, the long-standing welterweight champion, arguably, but in my opinion, still the best welterweight in UFC history, George St. Pierre, going up to challenge the middleweight goat Anderson, the Spider Silva for his middleweight title. So, Dominic, I know where your head's probably at on this one. But I want to know how you got there. Where, where stylistically, why does Anderson Silva win this fight? Like a 10, 11, 12 year old Dom is just so excited right now because this is what he was growing up on. This was the talk of the town. You know, Such this a was shame. The, yeah, it is. This was the super fight of all super fights. The, the hype was there, the storylines were there, and it never happened. And, you know, probably for the best because these guys cemented their own legacies and their own weight classes. And they're two of the greatest mixed martial artists to ever do it. They step in the octagon, mano y mano, no at 185 pounds. Anderson Silva knocks out George St. Pierre. Um, But this fight is very exciting because obviously we saw Anderson uh, multiple times challenged by wrestlers, Chael Sonnen uh, as uh, takes the top of that list. Uh, of course, Chris Weidman as well and some others. But so in that aspect, GSP definitely could have caused issues. But in the stand-up realm, I don't think this fight would have been close. Uh, the the size advantage for Anderson, I think, would be very drastic when this fight, obviously, in their primes. And uh, I just think his striking at that point was just so much uh, higher of a level than GSP. GSP was like a really technical boxer that always wanted to close the distance and then get the fight to the ground. But the distant striking of Anderson is unmatched to this day outside of someone like Israel Adesanya. Thank goodness we got to see those two fight, even though it wasn't Anderson's prime. 
Um, but I just, I truthfully think, and I'm being unbiased, I think Anderson would have won this fight then as a little boy. I'm saying it now as a 23-year-old. Um, I think it would have been fun back and forth. I think Anderson would have been, uh, had to face adversity in this fight. But again, on the feet, every round starts on the feet. And I think that's all it would have taken for Silva to uh, get a finish. So I would go Anderson via some sort of KO, TKO. Wow, you go via finish? Yeah, I do. Wow, that's yeah. that's a that's 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 a bit surprising to me. Um, not that it's impossible. Obviously, Anderson Silva is fucking Anderson Silva. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, I think for me, it's just hard to imagine. I know GSP, Matt, Sarah, you remember yeah. in our dorm room yeah, the I first do. time I watched that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm gonna go the other way. So it's hard. Because I can't even imagine these two fighting each other. Yeah. And like they both have such a clear advantage over the other that it's so hard to really because they're both two of the best of all time. Yep. So it's like well, maybe if they fought in 2011, one guy would win. And if they fought in 2012, the other guy would win. Because it seemed like even though they were dominant at the same time, depending on what period of time it was, and it varied. One guy was better than the other. Yeah. Obviously, when GSP and Anderson first won their belts, I would say Anderson was the better fighter at the time because GSP, obviously, he got knocked out by Matt Sarah, had to kind of come back from that. But then when Anderson Silva kind of went through that lull in his career where, yes, he had the very highlight reel, amazing Matrix-looking finish over Forrest Griffin. He also had those weird fights with Talos Leites and um, – Damian Maya. Damian Maya. Even Nick Diaz. Yes. Uh, now, the Nick Diaz one came a lot later. Yeah. So I'm meaning more at true, that time true. period. I forgot. Yes, yeah. the Forrest Griffin fight was amazing. One of the highlights of his career. But those those two other fights that I just mentioned, in that period of time when GSP was beating the shit out of BJ Penn and um, who else? Josh Koscheck. Yeah, Josh jabbed the face off of Koscheck. Mm-hmm. Um, just a during that time, I would think maybe GSP would win. And then if you go to, like, you know, the Chael Sonnen Anderson Silva rivalry, and then even when he fought Stephen Stephen Bonner, and that's when GSP fought Nick Diaz. And yeah. Like that. I I would probably go with Silva again. So it's just like you kind of depends on the era almost. But all in all, I'm going to go with GSP when I evaluate all the factors, no matter what time period and that and at their best. Um, I think he would – be able to get this fight to the ground. A lot of it tur- turns into um, their fight IQs, which I don't want to say Anderson Silva has anything other other than a exceptional fight IQ. However, he de- he has been known to be a bit of a show off in the octagon. Mm-hmm. He can get a little too relaxed, as you saw the way he lost to Chris Weidman. So I think he would have some of that in this fight because I think he would know I'm the better striker than GSP. Yeah. And I just think because that GSP is such a gamer, a game planner, he comes in, his team puts together the best game plans. Also, his team, Faraz Sahabi, they're known for the fact that they will only take at most two fights a year because you need a pure six months to prepare your body for a fight. Like With that kind of preparation and that attention to detail, I believe they would have the game plan to potentially put on a maybe underwhelming perform like overall fight, but a performance 
of a lifetime, I guess, for GSP. I think it would be a lot of grappling, a lot of um, trying to hold Anderson Silva down. Would he be able to do it with the fact he's going up in weight? I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, if you look at – when he fought Bisping, it's kind of a weird example because yeah. he was dealing with the um, stomach issues and whatnot. But um, I thought he looked big at, at middleweight, so um, I think maybe he could hold Anderson down. But, you know, you never know. That 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 fight would be – that's a shame that fight never got to be ran. Oh, it, it really is. So now we got a couple more here. And these are actually ones that Dominic found here at the end. <laughs> so we start with uh, this one I love. I love this one. Um, I believe you found this on the UFC's Instagram. Or yeah, UFC like BT Sport, but yeah. yeah. So I want you all to imagine the the UFC had a draft. And they said, below average Joes, <laughs> we're doing a brand split. That's right, baby. The UFC Smackdown is going. Versus Raw. The UFC is going. <laughs> 2002 WWE and saying, Dominic, you're going to be the general manager of one half of the UFC, and Noah, you're going to be the general manager of the other half. If they said that, which, my God, if they did. (laughs) Um, The question here is, who would be our or yours or then mine first pick based on their current status in the UFC and their overall potential? I love this question. I love the almost. It, never mind. I'll talk to you about it off camera. <laughs> okay. Um. So this is another one where I was sitting around today, and I was really thinking: Do I go with the current champion? Do I go with a young rising prospect with a lot of future upside? Do I meet in the middle, find a champion that's relatively new with a lot of upside? Can I? ask you for and i'll see what you what you think of this question and then we'll go from there by the fact that what i just said like us running our show basically like drafting and this is this is essentially the person we're going to depend on for the next few years to be like a huge contributor right yeah so that's an element as well obviously that goes into their potential but um star power i guess would have a factor here as well yeah for some people so after minutes and minutes and maybe even hours of hours, it's been a long day of uh, thinking. I settled on the UFC heavyweight champion of the world with the first pick of the Bolivar Joe's UFC draft. Team Dominic selects Francis Ngannou, and uh, you know. He has been looked at as a star ever since he stepped foot in the octagon. He's finished every single fight that he's won in the UFC and almost in his entire career. I think he actually has finished every fight in his career, 14 out of 15 or something, something crazy. In the UFC, though, he's won every fight by a finish. He can even submit guys, for God's sake, with a Kimura. How many heavyweights you see pulling off Kimuras? <laughs> Anyways, and, uh, you know, I think his backstory is one of the most spectacular, unique one-off stories you'll ever see in not only UFC history, not only MMA history, but sports history as a whole. And, uh, you know, fighting, inching, and clawing literally to make his way to freedom uh, and get across the ocean, you know, to Paris, where he came from very humble beginnings in Africa. And then he trains in a very, very small town, you know, in a small camp 
in uh, France and then works his way into becoming a star. He fights for the title, gets dominated, and his hype training is utterly shut down, comes to a halt when Stipe beat him the first time, then bounces back, gets four straight wins, all via first-round KO, then caps it off this past March in my agony of 2021 so far by knocking out Stipe. I just think he's a special talent. He's a special, genuine human being. I don't know if you saw Noah or anyone listening. He got the uh, Black Panther Award from Marvel as well uh, for like his character and what he's done through sport right. and his story. So I just think he's one of the most special human beings um, that's really ever existed in in combat sports and really all huge professional sports. And uh, that's, I think he is a star in the making. I think he's already a star, but it's someone that could become that level of not a Connor. Cause that's, that's a one-off, but I think he could really get close to a Diaz, a Masvidal, um, Israel Adesanya. I think he's kind of close with Izzy right now. And Izzy's the a pretty U- big the star. UFC's version of Mike Tyson. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and when a guy can come in and one punch KO people, that helps even more so. So, uh, again, I thought about this for a while. I had a couple in mind, but I settled on uh, Francis and Ghani. So when the, when you sent me this question a couple days ago, my mind immediately went to welterweight champion Kamaru Usman. However, he is 34 years old. So is Francis. Oh, is Francis really 34? Yeah, yeah. Um, neither one of those guys look like they're slowing down <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. But it is an added element, at yeah. least in my head. So when I look at some other potential names, um, you know, really, because I'm going to not go with Nganu since you did not that it, I probably – Usman was still the name I went to first. But, like, if you went beyond that, Nganu would obviously be one of the next couple that would – jump out but as terms of some other um, names that would be really interesting even if they're not necessarily going to be these huge pay-per-view stars i mean peter yan would be really high up there for me mm-hmm. um i believe 30 years old or 30 yeah. uh, somewhere in there um actually <laughs> i'm gonna go uh, here's a here, i don't i don't think you're ready for this one here's who my first pick would be okay. someone who i think what I love about this individual is that I think that they're they're young enough to be a big deal for a long time. Um, they're good enough to win titles, as proven by their past, but they're not necessarily dominant. So they're kind of going to always be in the mix, but not necessarily a a long reigning champion. Maybe that's going to be current women's strawweight champion Rose Namajunas. Oh, yeah. okay. And okay. a lot of this goes into her last performance. I mean, that was a star-making performance out of mm. her. Um, if Wei Li had won that fight, she might be my first pick just because she does carry that Asian market, and they are very um, committed to their fighters that represent them. Um, Sean O'Malley is another one that was yeah. up there just in terms of potential. Hamzat Chemaev, yeah, Hamzat mm-hmm. Chemaev could be up there for a lot of people. Uh, but Rose Namajunas was one that I was like sitting there. I'm like, she's young. She's obviously got the championship pedigree. Right. But she's not really – because not that I think dominant champions are bad for the sport or anything, but I do want some parity in my promotion if I'm starting yeah. out. And because of that, I want someone who 
people respect as a champion, whether they have the belt or not. It seems like she's kind of crossed that that threshold to where um, even if she's not the champion, people just think she's the best ever. I mean, it's Thug Rose, you know, yeah. it's, it's all that. So Rose Namiunas, not the pick I thought I would make. I but like it. I'm standing by it. I respect it. Now we got our last one before our fan question. Yep. And this is another interesting one. If the UFC made a card that only featured rematches, who would you want on it? And I have not really thought about this question since you sent it to me. So I'll be I'm kind of – let's go kind of one by one maybe. like just Yeah, we might be put, able to kind of build yeah, our own here. Yeah, just kind of put some out there. Um, was, was there ones that stuck out to you right away? There definitely are a few. Um, shout out to MMA Gone Wild, by the way. This is where I, he's the father of MMA Twitter. So I had to give him a shout out. I saw him tweet this. I'm like, dude, this is a really sweet one. Um, so Connor Nate, the trilogy, I think yeah. is yep. obviously a huge one. Um, some others I had in mind, and one we're about to get Usman Covington, too. Uh, another one we're probably going to get Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, part two. Mm-hmm. Those were definitely. See, that's funny that your your thing your your mind went kind of straight to at least there. I know you're just kind of talking of ones at the top of your head. You went to like the title fights and then obviously mm-hmm. like a Connor fight. I'm for some reason I'm thinking of like all these fights that had no title implications at all. Um, I don't know why that's where my mind went. Bring them um, in. Um, Sanhagen Sterling maybe. Okay. Um, I don't know. That's not really like it. it just because I think uh, if Sterling loses to Jan, I feel like that's a fight that's just going to have to be run back. Um, another one that I, I think I was – was, I was I was going somewhere. Oh, I don't know if it – it wouldn't make sense now to do it, but like Blahovich-Santos. Yeah. Because um, Santos did knock out uh, Blahovich in the first fight. I wish Santos was on a better – terms and right. his career right now to make that make sense but um, that could be interesting um i'm trying to think of some what are some other guys that have just had some can i throw out a low-key sleeper yeah this is one that's gonna be like really off guard and maybe it doesn't really fit in right now but could happen in the future it's a fight that ended in somewhat not controversy but just weird fashion uh, that could have been a great fight Max Holloway, Charles Oliveira, too. That's a that, fight. Well, that, that's for sure some controversy, though. I mean, yeah, what the was esophagus it? Was it injury. Yeah, his esophagus. He couldn't even breathe. Yeah. So imagine. I mean, you look at what those guys have done since then. Obviously, Charles, but then Max went on to become a champion. I think that's a really low key one that I had to really uh, like think. Okay, who's hey. fall? And I was looking at Max's sure dog. I'm like, oh my gosh, he did fight Oliveira forever yeah. ago. I had to so. give you a I had to give you a little, little <laughs> slow clap. Uh, Connor McGregor, Max Holloway, yeah, be another one at lightweight. Um, yeah, at lightweight, yes. Um, which I think is also that's kind of a key to, um, you know, when you have those added elements. You know, why yeah. do we need to see the fight again? Sure, yeah. uh, for Holloway McGregor, the fact that it's been so many years and they went on to both have very good runs in the company, yeah. but. Also, the fact to be at another weight class is another element. Right. Um, here's an interesting one. It, <laughs> a bit of cross-promotion. 
Oh, okay. Peter Yan and Magomed Magomedov. We got to see the trilogy bout. Mm-hmm. We do. Both guys have one loss, and it's to each other. So. Yeah, yeah. Man, these are some. Did Eddie Al- Eddie Alvarez fought uh, Michael Chandler in Bellator? Didn't he? They had one of the best fights in Bellator history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you for saying that when I asked. <laughs> Shows my my noob status with Bellator. Well, um, that, I mean, Eddie's kind of fallen on some hard times, but uh, I think, you know, him and Chandler could have a lot of fun maybe in the lead up, you know. Both guys that talk to talk and walk to walk, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, I'm, I pulled up the tweet just now, and I'm kind of scrolling through to look at some others that we haven't necessarily discussed. And I'll just let me just say one real quick you. before yeah, you go ahead. Go Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier. That uh, I'm seeing that a lot yeah. on here. Yeah, uh, Gaethje Poirier two, uh, Max Ortega two, a trilogy between Stipe and Francis is another kind of a uh, good one. Here's here's one that might tickle your fancy a little bit here. John Jones versus Dominic Reyes two. Someone says Ooh, on here that that's interesting because. Mm-hmm. I, but I think I've said this on this podcast, and again, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to see it again because I, I want to see if it would if my if my evaluation of that fight would turn out to be true. But yeah. I think John Jones, people would be disappointed at how easy I think John might make it look in a second time with Dominic Reyes, and that's not. And I said that when Reyes won the first fight, but the judges didn't score it for him. Yeah, I just think that uh, John. You know, I think when he wants to be the best fighter in the octagon, he will be. I just think he's that good. I just think he, uh, I don't know, something about some of those performances with Santos and stuff, he just doesn't seem to really be, doesn't put his all into it or something. Uh, but that's a side point. I found one more. I have to bring okay. it up. This is yeah. the only person that actually said it, shockingly enough, so I'm actually going to give credit here, at MMA Tucker 7 this should have came to mind first. Ladies and gentlemen, Joanna Young Jacek, Zhang Wei Li. I mean, come on now. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That is that is definitely gotta be five round main one. event. Uh, Misha Tate Holly Holm. Yeah, that's one you've talked about recently. Um, there was one I just thought of and then I lost it when we when I so when this we got is to the, the women. longest fight card in history of UFC. Well, it, I, yeah, I it's guess, too hard to limit to five. Yeah, we I can. guess it, I guess uh, yeah, in that way, um, we're just kind of throwing names out here. I just I just had one that I thought was pretty good and then I lost it. But yeah, that was man. There's a lot of Moreno Askar Askarov. Yeah. Ooh, Moreno, Brandon and, Roy Val. Yeah, yeah. I, I think even Moreno Pantoja. I think they fought before too. And we know how good Pantoja's looked mm-hmm. recently. I think they fought before. I could be wrong on that one. Oh, I think I just thought of it. Oh, yeah. Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz. Really? Okay. I don't know. They're, they're kind of, you know, Cody's Definitely, falling on hard times. Yeah. Dominic's kind of on his way back up now, you know. Yeah. Be interesting to see if Cody could could he make magic happen twice. I don't know. Yeah. Um, is there any more? I, I want to make sure we don't miss any before we might get roasted if we miss some good ones here. I don't know. Um, no, that might that might be it. I oh, mean, oh, uh, Amanda Nunes, Chris Cyborg. So, yeah, Nunes and Cyborg. We've seen what Chris has done since that loss. She's not lost since, obviously. She's a Bellator champ now. I mean, you could always run the trilogy between Volkanovski and Holloway, even. 
Yeah. I know. Well, I mean, most everybody wants to see it, though. Yeah. Just for Max Holloway, I guess, to see if he can prove that, like, no, I should have gotten the victory in the second one, you know? Yeah, I mean, and again, this is outside of the UFC, I guess, but, I mean, we talked about it on Monday, McKee and Patricio Pitbull running it back again, but this yeah. time for 155. Yeah. How do you not do that fight again? Yeah. yeah, I guess that's probably what we'll leave that one. We so, just, you know. Wow. How many did we just say? I'd like to hear some people leave their thoughts on that one. Yeah, so, uh, please that, do. That for sure. Now, Dominic, we're on to our viewer submission. Last viewer but not submitted least. Question, however we want to word it. From Michael, Dominic, I'm going to let you take it away since you have it in front of you. Yeah, so it's kind of a two-parter, so I'm just going to read from my phone. So, a question, again, from Michael. Submitted via Facebook, by the way. It doesn't have to be a voice message if you don't want mm-hmm. it to be. Do you think the UFC will ever have something similar to the NFL Sunday ticket? For example, pay X amount of dollars and you have access to all cards. Obviously, that means the fight nights, which you get with ESPN Plus. But if you have ESPN Plus right now, you still have to buy the pay-per-views. But if they were to do something like this, a package deal per se, you can get all the fight nights and all the pay-per-views for one big bundle. Um, And do we think that this is something that should happen. Uh, Michael was on to personally say, I would do this rather than spending 70 bucks a month. I would do a package like this for sure. He thinks it could even maybe cut down on some of the illegal streamer numbers. We know how Uncle Dana is with the streamers <laughs> these days. Um, so kind of a two-parter there. Again, shout out to Michael for the good question. That's two questions he submitted to be on the Reddit roundtables, back-to-back episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this is something that Noah and I, I think we've discussed this a little bit a while ago. And I think this is definitely something that I would want to see happen. Is it something the UFC would probably consider? And ESPN more so probably than the UFC. Mm, probably not, unfortunately. But uh, And I did the math. I'll go ahead and pull it up again. But if you just average, say there's one a month, 12 pay-per-views times $70. That's before tax. That's 840 bucks. So with Michael's thing here, comparing it to like a Sunday ticket, say you do an annual fee, 500 bucks, and you get every card, every pay-per-view, all that fun stuff with ESPN+. Um, and I took it a step further before we started recording and talking with Noah. And instead of just like one big $500 thing, what if you essentially do a tiered ESPN Plus subscription, like a UFC fan bundle package, whatever, so, like, right now it's $5 or $6 for ESPN+. Plus. But um, we were talking earlier, bump that to what if you do 30 bucks a month or 40 bucks a month? You pay to have your ESPN Plus subscription, so you get all the normal stuff, non-UFC-related. Then, of course, you get the library of UFC fights. You get all the fight nights, and you get every pay-per-view every month for 30 to 40 bucks a month as well. Um, so just kind of something like that. I think it's an amazing idea. I think it would be something that could bring in more casual fans while still keeping hardcore fans like us around. And uh, I just rambled a really long time, but I, I'm giving you what I'm thinking. Noah, let the people know what you think. Yeah, I mean, in terms of if they should do it, probably. They probably should. Um, I don't know how it would work. You know, again, yeah. we're we're not – even though we're, we're a couple of business, business – we're a couple of businessmen, but we're not business men. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Didn't really work, but uh, basically, 
in my head, everything's going to streaming nowadays. So in yes. some ways, the the NFL ticket needs to be kind of updated because isn't that still just isn't that an add on for cable? Yeah, I think so. it's something similar kind of how Red Zone is too. Yeah, so I think they need to have. I think the NFL needs to kind of even get with the times and. And that shows how behind the UFC is when they're still using the pay-per-view model. Yeah. Um, funny enough, today we just saw that UFC 267 in October looks like it might be airing on ABC, which is which, amazing. Which is awesome. That's a, that's a, quite the throwback to like yeah. the 80s when you had ABC boxing. Yeah, it's um, huge. Or maybe I don't know if even maybe the 70s before that. I don't know. Muhammad Ali was big back in yeah. those days, and you know he never people didn't have to pay to watch Muhammad Ali fight. Isn't that crazy? Besides yeah. their cable bill i guess um so i think that i like where your head's at michael and i think that it is a good idea because ultimately we are you know for us dominic it's a no-brainer to pay you know the 70 bucks a month but you look at some of these cards in a year and are they necessarily worth 70 bucks probably not Mm -hmm. you know is it when you evaluate a Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier card the same as – or a three-title fight card as the same as the card maybe this Saturday to a lot of people, which has right. the in, one interim title fight that most people don't really think should be for a title. Yeah. Sure, are there, are there a lot of good fights on there? Yes, but in terms of name value and whatnot, right. um, a lot of people are going to be like, why is this the same amount of money? So you ha- the majority of the, the MMA people who consider themselves fans of MMA – probably don't buy more than three or four cards a year. Yeah. The rest they try to either just follow on like Twitter and stuff. Or stream and, it. Yeah, or straight illegally stream it. Um, you know, get those live updates or whatever on Twitter. But um because of that, I think it would be in the best interest and then you do a monthly fee, but it equi- it basically would maybe be the equivalent of buying six pay-per-views a year or something. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's got to be kind of in the UFC's interest to do it. Right. So it's like, okay, they have to be able to make money off of it. Um, what's weird is like WWE uh, did something like this. Um, not This is a lot different, but for a while they had WWE Network, which mm-hmm. is now on Peacock, which is like the NBC streaming. But – so now it's even crazier. But before, WWE Network, I believe, was ten bucks a month. You paid ten bucks a month to get the entire library of like you watch any of this yeah. original content and old shows, anything, old pay per views, anything you want, and you got the new pay per views under that deal. That's ten bucks a month. Dominic. That's crazy. And I and and you know WWE their pay per views were always. I don't know, 50 bucks or something. 50 bucks, yeah. So you paid $120 a year for the equivalent of two and a half pay-per-views. Yeah. But you got all 12 or 13 of them in a year, and you got an entire library to go through, which WWE has done a great job with their original programming, their documentaries. So I don't know how they made it work, (laughs) but they did. Yeah. And their pay-per-views have always sold much higher than like the UFC, UFC's on a more you know, consistent stuff. basis. Yeah, like they're and you know think of like their um, attendance is always yeah. much higher. You know each Raw and SmackDown, I believe, will do and they do it every week is around. I, I might be off on this. I think like thirty thousand or something. Thirty depending 000. on the arena. Yeah. yeah. So you know they, I think uh, like you know UFC is doing like ten to twenty in there most time on their fight nights, and that's uh, so because of that. 
I don't know how it would compare, but it's so interesting to me that WWE always did that. When they, like to me, I'm like, you have to be like that's got to be a financial gamble to do that. Yeah, but they did it, so obviously they made money off of it. Right. So then I'd wonder, and it ended up being a big success. I mean, I think UFC or WWE was kind of in a lull at the at the point where they introduced mm-hmm. the network, and I think it became a big hit, brought a lot of fans back and just a lot of fans in general to the product so i think the ufc should consider doing something like that yeah um i don't know if if um i just don't know if they ever will and the problem is now it's not only on the ufc they have would have to do it with espn which Which is kind of yeah which i even said off camera is kind of the boring answer where it's like well let's see what those espn contracts say because you ain't going to be able to get off of espn plus because that's and I and I want to talk negatively about the ESPN deal. I yeah, because that's been I big. like it. I like it. I yeah. enjoy a lot of people don't, but I, I like being able I already have ESPN plus anyways. So being able to go, go through that for a lot of my UFC content, buy the pay-per-views off there, I'm fine with it as long as it works, you know, mm-hmm. which sometimes has been a problem, but that's <laughs> besides the point. Um I just think streaming would be the way you would do it. I don't know if um I, I know where you're getting at with the Sunday NFL ticket. That's basically what you're saying is just a basically paying less, pay more up front, but less yeah. over the course of a year yeah. for all of these cards. And yes, I think you should see something like that, but I think it's going to be a long time before you do because combat sports are just falling way behind the, in terms of they, they stick to the pay-per-view model, which mm-hmm. Sometimes they reap the benefits of, but I think uh, somewhere 10, 15 years it might even be. Yeah. You'll eventually see something. But, uh, yeah, it just might take a lot longer than we want to. Like the question, though. Very good question. Dominic, any final thoughts on that one? That's it, man. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us (laughs) for today's edition of the MMA Reddit Roundtable. I didn't even pay attention to the – time up there in the corner this is one of our longest episodes ever we've gone for quite a while (laughs) uh friday be sure to check back in with us we'll have the mma weekend preview for you ufc 265 gonna be a big focus of that one along with all of the okamoto bombs that have been getting dropped (laughs) over the last 24 hours a lot of fights to go over on that one a lot of big fights so if you haven't been if you've been living under a rock and ain't seen them Tune in Friday. We'll have you You'll, covered. Yeah. We'll give you the scoop. But Dominic, until then, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Deasley14. More importantly, like our good friend Michael, engage with the podcast. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. Never forget the underscore. <laughs> and for me, Twitter, Instagram, at NT Baker underscore. Yes, yes. Don't forget the underscore. (laughs) Again, that's NT Baker underscore on Twitter (laughs) and Instagram. But that's it. We're out, and we'll see you all on Friday.